Hey parents, do you Bambino? If not, you may want to start. Bambino is a game-changing babysitting app that's fast becoming a household name. Bambino helps families find, book, and pay trusted neighborhood sitters using their personal and social networks. The app was introduced in 2016 and already has more than 200,000 registered users around the country. Rather than searching through a vast database of strangers, Bambino uses recommendations from friends and neighbors to help families find sitters that live down the street and around the corner. Using community feedback, comprehensive safety checks, sitter performance metrics, and a proprietary matching algorithm, they help match the right sitter with the right family every time. Bambino is more than an app. It's a community dedicated to creating the safest, most caring network of families and sitters out there. Simply put, Bambino is babysitting made easy. So are you ready to jump on the Bambino bandwagon? Well, head to bambinositters.com or go to the App Store to download the Bambino app. Signing up is simple and it doesn't cost you anything. Once you download the app, you'll have access to all your neighborhood sitters and you'll be able to see what other parents are saying about them. Send your request to multiple sitters and you are in charge until the sit takes place. One loyal Bambino lover sums it up this way. It's a life-saving app that's connected me with the best of the best, and they're on my block. It doesn't get better than that. Hey guys, welcome to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. I'm so excited today to have Melissa Berry with me. Melissa is known as the Cancer Fashionista, which is right up my alley. Uh, She really has a movement that she's created based on making women look good and feel good throughout their treatment and after, because as we all know, as cancer patients and survivors and thrivers and previvors that, um, you know, how, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you want to recognize yourself. You want to see somebody who is healthy and vibrant. And Melissa gives us a lot of tips today on how to do that and talks about her own journey. So thank you so much for joining. I can't wait for you to meet Melissa. Hi, Melissa. How are you today? Then good. How are you? Good. I'm so happy that we're finally meeting. We were just talking before we started recording about how we have so many connections. It's like six degrees of breast cancer separation, right? <laughs> Seriously, so many amazing women that we're both friends with. I cannot believe that like we don't know each other. I know. Well, now <laughs> we do. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we do, and we're gonna get to know each other even better over the next. Oh yeah, you know yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So I'm so happy. I know you're super busy, so I'm so glad that you took time out of your schedule. Oh my gosh, not too, never too busy for you. Awesome. So before we get into all the good stuff that we want to talk about, give us a little history about who you are and why we're talking today. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to speak with you. And this is, am I allowed to say it's the first time that you're doing a video podcast? It is. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, know (laughs) that there is a coordinating video on my YouTube channel. And if you're watching this on YouTube, go check out my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. You can hear us. You can see us. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, sorry, I digress. No. uh, A little bit about me. Wow. So, uh, I am a, I'm going to be seven, a seven year triple negative breast cancer survivor. It is really weird to say seven years, I have to say, but, uh, there was a lot of breast cancer in my family, uh, starting with my mom, my grandmother. And, uh, you know, I think I was about 32 when my mom was like, you know what, you should probably get tested for the BRCA gene. Now just a little rewind. Uh, my mom and her cousin were very ahead of their time many, many years ago, uh, because my cousin was in the, in the science field. She told my mom that she heard about some tests where you could send your blood to France and they could, 
I mean, it was really uh, just the early, very early stages of, of doing any kind of genetic testing. And they did test positive for this, for this gene. So we knew that, that things were cooking in our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandma, rest her soul, uh, died of 89. She had breast cancer, but uh, um, she did not. She had she died of natural causes. Uh, my mother also had breast cancer, and thank God, you know, she is fine. Uh, so I did test positive for the gene. And I was told that I uh, should have my ovaries removed uh, by the time I'm 40 uh, to help significantly reduce my chances of getting breast cancer. And I did that. And honestly, Jen, I really, you know, I'm very blessed that this, you know, I have two teenage daughters now. I was done having children. So it was kind of like, it's going to suck to go into, you know, surgical menopause and that could be a whole other podcast. Oh yeah. Tell me um, about it. <laughs> but hey, it's, uh, I want to be around for, I want to live. Yeah. So I, I, I bit the bullet and I did it. And, uh, at the age of 42, I was still diagnosed with uh, triple negative breast cancer. Mm. And, uh, I'm a fashion and beauty publicist. And so once I knew what the course of treatment was, I was like, wait, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my hair. And my breasts, like, what the, excuse my French, like, how am I going to, I'm not just sitting behind a desk. I'm going to fashion shows and I'm meeting with edit. I'm going to, you know, meeting with beauty editors of all, of all people. Right. Mm. So I scoured the internet looking for, I'm like, where's the vogue of breast cancer? Where are the, the lashes and like the cool bras and the, like, I want to, you know, look, find stuff that I can really own it. You're going to own it. If you have to go, was like, look like something my doctor. I love my doctor. <laughs> like, you know, it would be in a hospital catalog. Let's just say that. Yeah. So, uh, I, I just really, I started a list of things that I loved and my mother in typical Jewish mom fashion was like, like father, Melissa, where's that list? Like, where's that list? And finally a friend of mine was like, just put it on a blog. And it really just happened by accident. I just put it on a blog so that more people would have access to it. And then fast forward, I'm, you know, doing really cool stuff on Instagram and collaborating with brands and just, even though I'm seven years out, I'm continuing to share all of the cool and beautiful things that help women that are you know, going through cancer. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, you know, when you talk about being seven years out, I think before I had cancer, I would look at something like that and I would say, oh, it's so long ago. Now that I'm in it, it's like you really aren't ever out. Right, like you're like no, I had I was in treatment seven years ago, but you it still lives with you in a way, right? It's like forever. You know, this is a this is a really interesting topic. I think it's perspective, right? Um, I have a lot of friends that have metastatic breast cancer, and they are literally always in it because they're always in treatment. They're always going for scans. So I'm grateful that you know I think. Uh, the fact that I am, you know, now going for, you know, my doctor, my oncologist said I can come back every year. I'm like, let's do six months. Like right. they're really like, you're done, you know, cause the one, the only good thing about triple negative breast cancer is that once you hit five years, you're considered like the chances of getting it is like, you know, getting hit by lightning. So, uh, I think it really, to answer your question, I think it's just perspective. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're not metastatic, uh, you should be grateful. And if you are metastatic, guess what? There is, there are so many incredible treatments and, uh, I know so many women that are, that are living, not just like, not just like, you know, uh, they're living, they're doing their life and they feel great. So thank goodness for the research and the, and, and, and all of the, uh, new technology because, you know, women are living longer, but it, the metastatic, uh, 
breast cancer situation really it ne- it needs a lot more help and a lot more funding and that that could mm-hmm. be a whole other conversation but yeah. perspective yeah agreed so when you when they suggested that you take out your ovaries they didn't at the same time suggest you to have a, a mastectomy oh no so uh, when I was diagnosed with breast I think I skipped the part that I was diagnosed with breast cancer so the timeline I uh, I had my the BRCA test was done when I was 32. Mm. Um, and then, uh, when I was, uh, 42, I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Now it was stage one. And because I had the BRCA test, I was under a microscope jet. Mm. I was going for MRIs, clinical exams, which for people that don't, don't know, that's where they basically fill your breasts and your lymph nodes to see if there's anything cooking. Um, and also mammograms. So I was going to the hospital like every few months for something. I was under such close watch. So I was very lucky to have caught the triple negative breast cancer at such an early stage. Mm. So when I was diagnosed almost seven years ago, the suggestion was that for the course of treatment was that I have a bilateral mastectomy and ACT chemotherapy. And that's what I did. Okay. So my question was, which I appreciate your sharing with everybody. My question was more, did they suggest a preventative mastectomy at the same time as when they suggested you had your ovaries out prior to diagnosis? No. And this is interesting that you bring up this, this point because the day that I went in, the day after I was diagnosed, one of the day that I went in for my consult was the very same day that Angelina Jolie came out with her news about having a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. And I remember being so angry, like, why didn't, you know, why didn't I do that? And, you know, my mother was like, listen, everything's always easier in hindsight. And um, this is a very personal choice. You know, of course, if I had to rewind, of course, I would have had a bilateral, uh, uh, a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. Uh, And I think that if you have a strong family history uh, that's certainly something to consider. And there's so many amazing women now, they um, are called pre-vivors, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you know, yeah. that have uh, taken uh, you know their life into their own hands, which I think is amazing. And guess what? My daughters will likely have to make that kind of a decision. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's... Yeah. No, the reason that I ask is, is because I'm seeing it more and more and more now. And maybe it is because of the Angelina Jolie's of the world, right? That are coming out and saying, I'm, I'm doing this. And I just think it's, you know, when I think about pre-vivors, I just think they're so incredibly brave. Not that survivors or patients are not brave. We are also, but there's a different bravery to walk in and say, okay, I have a choice and I'm going to do this versus I don't have a choice. You know, I didn't have a choice. Because I'll tell you this, I did have conversations with my oncologist years ago and, you know, there, there are different debates and listen, this is a few years ago. Uh, But, you know, they are really brave because they're going into the to the hospital for surgery with healthy breasts, right? There's no disease there. Uh, it's it's the possibility, yeah. and I think uh, for pre-vivors, I applaud them because they are going through the same course of action that um, women who are diagnosed with cancer have. They have to go through the uh, removal of their breasts, which is an amputation. Mm-hmm. Which there could be there could be uh, major complications. Uh, that could happen. And then they have to go through reconstruction. So uh, it's no, it's no walk in the park, but you know, talk about like a life insurance policy. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, um, when you had your ovaries removed, because, and the reason that I want to talk about that is because so much of your work is based on fashion and beauty and what we look like. And so when we lose our breasts, we lose our hair, 
there's a um, very big element of losing your femininity, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I want to talk about the ovaries for a moment because it's not something that you see. However, I would imagine it still really affects how you feel about yourself as a woman. What was your experience with that? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I remember thinking to myself, yes, I'm done having children, but wow, this means I'm really done having children. Mm. And there's a sense of loss there because, you know, uh, you know, as a young woman, you know, you start to menstruate and like, these are all like rites of passage. It's like, it's part, it becomes such a part of you and, 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 and who you are. And, uh, I definitely felt a sense of loss. Uh, and from a, I, I, I tell a lot of people too, I, I think, you know, chemo and, and surgery and all that is difficult. Surgical menopause was a lot harder than I thought it would mm. be. Uh, I had, I remember immediate hot flashes and mood swings. And, uh, it took me a long time to really find my groove again. Mm, yeah, I can resonate with that. So I personally, I'm in medical menopause right now. They, I have, I'm on Lupron. So my ovaries are not working, although I'm not technically not in full menopause. And I went to my gynecologist to talk about having my ovaries at, and I sat in the waiting room to, to speak with her. And I saw all these pregnant women and I got into her office and before she even said a word to me, I just started bawling. She was like, what's wrong with you? I thought you were you know, done having kids. And I'm like, I am, but how did I get from that to this in 10 short years? I feel like an old lady, you know, it's like, I wasn't something I think really actually kind of sexy and youthful about when you're pregnant and the baby and your breasts are full and you're glowing and glowing and and you just exude it. There's nothing more feminine than that. Right. So when you have to give it up, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. So let's talk a little bit about then losing your breasts, losing your hair, and how it affects you know how you see your body and the femininity. Um, what are your thoughts on that, and and how you manage through that, especially being in the industry that you're in? I remember initially. I'm not gonna lie. I felt like I was mugged. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I get. I mean, I get it. it's not funny, but it's like, yeah. It's like, are you guys serious? Like, I'm gonna lose my breasts and my hair. Like, think about it. We flip our hair, adjusting the. Oh, how did, how do my boobs look in this dress? Or like, uh, is this bra? Okay, how's the swimsuit? I mean, we're you know, especially as a society. I mean, I grew up playing with Barbie dolls, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. uh, so I remember initially I was like, I was mortified because again, especially being in beauty and fashion, I just didn't even recognize myself. And then I thought, God, I didn't think I'd get choked up so long ago. Um, I, the reason I'm crying is because I wish I could tell myself what I know now, mm. um, because that Melissa was really sad and didn't feel like she could you know, be pretty again ever. Um, or, or even felt ashamed to go to Trader Joe's. Who am I going to run into? Mm. So that's why I fight so fiercely. Um, am I saving lives? No, but if I can give women the tools and I always say, you don't need to look like a supermodel. You just want to look like Jen. I want to like Melissa. Like you just want to look like yourself. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the prize to me. If I can help, you know, preserve that for women mm. and, and yes, they're on some lipstick. They have these, you know, the hats with the, the hair coming out or a wig, whatever works for you. Like 
there are ways to kind of, I say, smoke and mirrors. <laughs> you can mm. make it till you make it. And, and there are so many women that look amazing bald because they rock amazing eyelashes and they pop the earrings on and they like work their lipstick. So, you know, there, there are ways to work, work around it, but you know, uh, I definitely, I, I never felt so defeated. Mm. Yeah, that really, I, I definitely understand that too. It's something that I'm still working through myself going through. I just had my second reconstruction just a few weeks ago and just trying to, you know, go bathing suit shopping was a horrendous, I mean, I just, it's a horrendous experience. It's, I thought it was horrendous before I had my breasts removed. Yeah, now it's like, like, I always say, I felt like I was on planet Melissa. Like I'm the <laughs> only one that's trying to shop for, you know, like, especially when you're going through the reconstruction. I remember at one point I was like, I seriously look like Raggedy Ann. Like what yeah. is going on? And then things calm down, yeah. but you just can't, it's so hard to like see you know, and look, we've all been in the doctor's offices where they show you the before and the after. You're like, oh wow, that's great. But when you're in the middle of it, you're like, I, you know, this is. So I can I can totally relate. Yeah, going yeah. baby shopping was never fun. Let's just. That's what I'm saying. It was never, never fun, fun to in the first place. <laughs> now <laughs> maybe a mimosa beforehand, but now it's like, yeah, yeah it's hard because yeah. your body's different. And but, this is really what I mean. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You go. No, no. And I, like I tell women, it's easier said than done. You just have to embrace. So, you know, some women also choose to go flat or they just have had one uh, breast reconstructed. So then you just have to get to the point where you work with what you have. And technology is so great. I think in the world of fashion, there are so many options out there. Mm. Can I plug? You know what I'm going to say? Please. Anna Ono. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I love Dana, Dana and Anna Ono. So we a whole episode on her, but I mean, she's actually the catalyst, I think, for what I even do because I tried so hard to find brands that I thought were cool and that yeah. and that were functional. Right. So Anna Ono, by the way, you guys, is a bra company designed by our friend Dana, and she um, is amazing. She's a breast cancer survivor as well, and she's really bringing um, breast cancer fashion to the lingerie world in a way that makes us all feel not only empowered and beautiful, but comfortable because that's another thing. Comfort after all of this, like just finding a bra that fits and supports and yet doesn't put too much pressure on or doesn't leave marks or, you know, isn't itchy. is so hard. It's so yeah. hard. So on top of that, they work, but they're beautiful. And she just yeah. came out with a sports bra yeah. and she's not paying me to say this. And Or, or oh, me, I by the way. Because you know why? It's not just about the bras. She really is like, I tell her, she's like a pioneer for our community. She has really like brought women together and yeah. made them feel like her hashtag is never alone. You're never alone. Like she's really created a community. And I think that alone has is, is been amazing. Yeah. It's funny you bring up never alone because I, I have certain moments where, um, you know, you don't really know what's going on underneath somebody's clothes, right? I mean, especially if somebody has not had a mastectomy, maybe they've had a lumpectomy or they've, you know, just had some radiation or whatever it might be. You never really know what's going on with somebody. But I have certain moments where I do feel very alone. Like if I'm at the gym, let's say, and I can't do push-ups because of my surgeries and I'm still, you know, recovering from that and it's very hard or I can't raise my arms all the way or whatever it might be. And then I find myself sometimes like looking around, is anybody else in the room having the same struggle? Like maybe they're with me. And there are times where, uh, most of the time where nobody else is struggling with it. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm so alone. I can't believe I'm the only one in this room that had that. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not always true, but there are many times that you do feel very alone in oh, this. Oh, feel so isolating. To your point, I had to go for, uh, 
therapy uh, after my bilateral mastectomy because I had an issue with, I couldn't do the wall crawls. I couldn't Mm -hmm. reach my arms all the way up. And I remember one day I was in the kitchen. I love to cook and I I was like going for the garlic powder and I just started to cry because I could not reach it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God, like you feel like you're just stuck in this, in this crazy, like it's, it's not even your body anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, this is why I say it has the ability to touch every single aspect of your life. It's not just your body. It's like your everyday things, you're working out, you're, you know, everything. I mean, I remember doing, oh yeah, everything, you know, doing my hair like this because I couldn't raise my hands up high enough to do my hair. It was terrible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, cancer fashionista a little bit more. And, you know, you say that you're not saving lives, but I will argue with you. Okay. Maybe you're not ridding people of disease. However, there is a huge, emotional impact when we look in the mirror and we see somebody that we don't recognize. So helping somebody see someone they recognize or redefine who they are and redefine what beautiful is, I think contributes to the emotional healing. Absolutely. And and thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for me and like many other women, uh, sometimes just, you know, you know, taking the time that a couple of minutes, even on your crappiest chemo day to put a little bit of makeup on and take a nice bath and just like be kind to yourself. It's, you know, for me with cancer fashionista, it's not just about the exterior. It's not, the makeup is great. It's definitely a tool. Don't get me wrong. And like having the right, you know, uh, uh, bras and, 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 and comfortable clothing during, you know, treatment, all that is so important. But I think, you know, also uh, what I always like to encourage is just to be kind to yourself and be patient. You know, if you can't do orange theory because you just had (laughs) surgery, hello, it's okay. Take your dog for a walk. Just sit on your porch with a cup of tea and just like feel the sun on your face. Like just learning to sort of, you know, accept where you are at each, at each chapter and just kind of be patient with yourself. That's a big one. Mm. Are there any, um, products or, um, fashion tips or anything that you really love that you want to share with somebody that maybe, you know, cause I don't know about you, but I freaked after I got diagnosed, like everything was like causing cancer. So I can't use that lotion anymore. And I can't use that. Oh, yeah, I dumped all of my, like, and I'm a makeup freak and I like threw all my makeup out. So, um, I love Salter Girl Beauty. Okay. Uh, and actually it was founded by two beautiful, amazing sisters that are, uh, live in Maine. Uh, Leah is an oncology nurse and oh. Sarah is, uh, a triple negative breast cancer survivor Wow. and they just could not find products that they love. So they created their own brand and it's beautiful and it's clean and it actually works like the foundation the coverage is amazing, and it also smells like cake batter. That's all the girl beauty. Yeah, um, <laughs> I also love violets or blue. Um, Cynthia is a dear friend of mine, real estate agent turned you know entrepreneur because she couldn't find a deodorant that she felt worked. So mm-hmm. violets or blue is a beautiful brand as well. Um, and then recently, I discovered a brand that I am in love with. Um, it's called Ami Wellness, and they uh, have uh, they're like uh, CBD based products. Not all of them have CBD, but herbal supplements, if you will. And there's one called Dream that really helps with sleep. It comes in like a rollerball or you could drop it in your tea. And there's one called Calm that like chills you out. And I wish I kind of had that when I was going through treatment um, because Lord knows I kept on exit business. 
that actually I think is like the most popular word that comes out of breast cancer survivors mouth. <laughs> it's funny. I have to tell you, I never took a Xanax in my life until I was diagnosed. I called my uh, general practitioner and I was like, listen, I know you don't know me that well, but if you don't write me a prescription for Xanax right now, <laughs> we are divorcing. Like, I'm not, I mean, and I've honestly played, played, I was never a huge advocate of, of drugs, but uh, yeah, there's a time and a place for Xanax. Yeah. And I think chemo, especially right before chemo, I'd yeah. be like, I cannot wait to knock myself out. Cause it does, mm-hmm. it kind of just unplugs your brain a little bit. Yeah. I've probably only taken maybe three, but it's like, just knowing you have it sometimes is like, but I remember when I went for chemo at first, they used to give me an Ativan because I did the cold capping and the cold capping was oh. horrendous and they would give me out of it. Work, it did. I, I lost about 30% of my hair still. Wow. Um, and it, you know, the, the, the process sucks and I hate to complain about it because I still had my hair, but the, it was like, you couldn't blow dry it. You couldn't put it up. You couldn't wash it more than once a week. You know, you couldn't, I mean, it looked terrible for a bit. You couldn't wear a hat. You couldn't, it was like, there were days where I was like, why am I even doing this? I look worse now than I've ever looked and it's not fun and it's uncomfortable. But in the end, I was happy that I did it because it gave me um, a sense of control. Again, a over that mugging of femininity, right? Because every time I feel like I walk into my oncologist's office, there's a moment of like, okay, here's what we're going to do next. Oh, you feel good today? Well, let's fuck that up. (laughs) You know, like- Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. What a way to ruin that. So- Yeah, because I remember going in too, being like, you know, because chemo is cumulative. So I remember going in, you know, you guys, this is not that bad. And they're like, just wait, come back to us in like three weeks. And I go in there like with my knuckles on the floor. I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, that was my point in the beginning. They would give me an Ativan and I would pop the pill. I'm like, I'd, I'd be all right. By maybe the fifth chemo session, I was like, put it in the IV. <laughs> just get yeah. it right in there. I'm, I'm just knock me out. It's like, I don't want to sit here and, and know what's happening right now. Just knock me out. And that's so not who I am. But sometimes like, it's too much for your body to handle even emotionally. Like I would get nauseous before chemo, like the day before, just knowing it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like natural childbirth or right. yeah. One of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. So, you know, another thing also is that um, when losing hair, sometimes it grows back differently, right? Did yours grow back differently? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what a Brillo pad looks like? <laughs> I mean, it it grew back thick and curly, and I I was great. I was just grateful that it didn't come back gray because I I would just I mine thought, did. My the thirty percent I lost came back gray. Really? Yeah. I am proud to say that I'm forty eight and I still don't have any gray hair. Good for My you. My hairstylist is like, girl, you are like totally like cheating the whole system. Yeah. Um, going on I love it yeah um I was uh it grew back really funky and there again I I was so upset because I thought great now I you know I have this I I never had curly I didn't know how to deal with curls uh but eventually it all grew out and it, it 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 came back to my original state but you know what I ended up having fun with it like I just learned to work with it and that's what I encourage women to do okay fine it's like great I have curly hair now like what are some great curly hair looks like maybe I'm just gonna throw some product in it today or you know it's it's easier to maintain whatever you know whatever it is just have to kind of work with it but it's a comeback uh came back pretty funky you know, recently there was a uh, something that went around the, the internet that was like um, hair dyes contributed to higher breast cancer rates. And my husband sent it to me and I sent him a note back that said, uh, 
and your point is, <laughs> like, <laughs> if I am going to live this life, I don't want to do it with gray hair yet. It's just, I think that there's like amazing people that like grow their hair out and it looks amazing on them. I just want yeah. to be one of those people that can embrace the gray. Oh yeah, I see and there's like silver foxes. There's oh, some, oh, some amazing. beautiful, it makes me almost want to go gray, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I think that if maybe I hadn't gone through everything I went through with breast cancer, I would be more likely to embrace the grays. But for now, I kind of like, no, no, no. Hair is such a funny thing. Like my, I grew my hair really long because I felt like, okay, now I need to grow it really long. And you know what? It really wasn't doing anything for me. And just a few months ago, I cut like a sort of a longer bob and everyone's like, oh my God, you're... I, I didn't even realize that I was afraid to cut it again. Like, because yeah. I don't want to lose my hair, which is so ridiculous. Yeah. But it was it, definitely a subconscious thought. Yeah. When they cut it, I'm like, ooh. But then I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right. <laughs> so much better now. <laughs> well, I love it. I think that everything you're doing is really so amazing. Oh, and thank you, Jen. Yeah, your message is incredible. And you're doing some pretty awesome things too. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, one of the really strong messages that you're sending that um, we're getting between the lines, I'm just going to put it out there, is that it's okay to be in treatment and take care of yourself and put makeup on and, you know, go out and and present yourself to the world in the way you want to be presented. You don't have to become, you know, for me, it was one of the things that I, I remember I was traveling during treatment and feeling guilty. Like I shouldn't be doing this. I should be home sick on my couch, but you know, cancer these days has a different look and a different feel. And I think that if you want to put yourself out there in that way, do it. And without guilt. And if you don't want to, I never wore makeup to chemo. Fine. Do that, you know, without guilt. Listen, you know, sister, there were some days that I was in bed in my jams, like the kids, everyone had a bring, you know, whatever broth I made them right. make me. <laughs> Definitely days like that where I don't even remember what I watched on TV where you're like napping in and out. It's like a weird dream. Yes, you know? yes, yes. You have to surrender to those days. There, yeah. there are definitely some non-makeup and there are still some non-makeup days. Hello. Yeah, completely. And I, and I, but you know, I, I guess my point is really like, if you want there to be the makeup days, if you want, I mean, I, I wore high heels once to chemotherapy because I was like, why not? I wore I wore pink Manolos to my my mastectomy actually. <laughs> Sweet. Oh my god. But your your doctor must have loved oh that. Oh my god. They were like I've never seen anybody wear heels, forget pink suede Manolos, you know, to and I was like, you know, listen, if I'm going in, I got to do it on my terms. You know, this is what makes me feel feminine. This is what makes me feel good. Right. And I'm not going to put myself in a position where I have to be a sick terrible, sad patient all the time. There's moments of that, but you know, I want to, I want to own this. It's like putting on the heels or the lipstick. Sometimes it actually does lift your spirits and make you feel better. Exactly. Great way to end the, (laughs) great way to end the, (laughs) all right. Tell everybody where they can find you, Melissa, if they want to learn more about you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. My website is cancerfashionista.com and you can find me on Facebook at Cancer Fashionista or on Instagram at Cancer Fashionista. Awesome. And Melissa is also in my new group, my reconstruction group. So if you are out there uh, and you had breast cancer, if you are a previvor, survivor, thriver, patient, uh, and you want to join the Facebook group, you guys can do that. Um, I will put links everywhere in the show notes. If you're listening to the podcast and down below, if you're watching on YouTube, I really appreciate you, Melissa. You're amazing. And thank you for taking time. I appreciate you, Jen. You made my day. Thanks so much for having me. 
Hey guys, if you love the podcast today or any of the podcast episodes and you want to share with a girlfriend, I would totally appreciate that. Also, if you wouldn't mind hopping over to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review and subscribing, that would be amazing. It keeps us going and keeps the Shamelessly Feminine movement in action. Have a great day, guys.